Hi everyone, Squidge here. I just wanted to let you know that in this interview, John gets into some pretty heavy things that could cause some distress to some listeners. When this happens, it will be preceded by this sound. Also, there will be chapter markings in the actual episode with your podcatcher app of choice. And there will also be a content warning section in the full show notes, which will be linked to in your podcast app of choice for the areas that could potentially trigger some folks. We decided to leave what John had to say about these potentially unsettling topics in the show because they're part of his story and we thought that John speaking up about these might help others in similar situations. Everything he has to say has a happy ending, I promise you. Anyway, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Waffling Tailors Podcast. Woo! Oh yes, we have a special guest with us today, but first of all, I'm just going to say, hello Squidgy. Hello Squidgy. Hello Squidgy. Hello Squidgy. Hello Squidgy. Okay. Excellent. How are you Squidgy? I'm not too bad. You're good. You're good. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, but we have a guest with us, a special guest with us this time. Um, uh, we've got John with us uh, from the, uh, what was it, the, the the Trek Profiles podcast and many other Star Trek related things and lots of awesome stuff that he does online. I'll let him introduce himself in a minute. Um, and we're going to be talking to John about some, uh, about essentially like EverQuest and going back to our old older titles, our the titles from uh, years gone by, our previous loves. Um, but before we can do all of that, I guess we've got to talk about John. So, John, how are you? I am doing very well, gentlemen. What a what a thrill and what a treat to, to be here with you. Um, and this is actually notable for me because while I've been on many, many, many podcasts at this point, this is actually the first non-Star Trek podcast I've ever been on. <laughs> Well, I mean, we can we can start talking about Star Trek if that helps. Uh, you you want to go down that rabbit hole with me, brother? It's going to be a whole thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> thing I didn't wear a red shirt then, isn't it? Uh, I have a red shirt. I can put it on and wear it. I, I, I have one right behind me in that closet <laughs> that you can see in the video. <laughs> uh, excellent, excellent. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm more of a a, a Trek light uh, person. I've never. Uh, Whilst I have watched the majority of the sort of the four main shows, mm-hmm. um, you know, the original series, Enterprise, DS9, and Voyager, outside of that, I've sort of like stepped out a little bit and gone, yeah, t- yeah, cool, excellent. And I've seen all the movies, all of the movies, yeah, all the movies and stuff like that. But I've been like, I've always been, it's great, but I've sort of kept a little distance, not because it's the Star Trek, Star Wars thing, because I do the same thing with Star Wars. I'm like, oh, okay, but a little different. These, these little two, I, I'm sorry, I have to say something about that, which is those two things have nothing to do with each other. Hmm. So oh, definitely, I, yeah. I, 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 I truly, sincerely, and I'm not even trying to be, I'm not even trying to raise the temperature or, or, or be contrary, but I have never understood Star Trek for Star Wars. These two things have nothing in common except for the fact that they both begin with star. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like saying, you know, uh, well, I, I could, I could be interested in rocketry or transmission repair. I, I'm not sure. It's like, <laughs> like you can have both. You can have neither. You know, they're, they're just not, they're, there is no competition here except for, I think, uh, typical fanboy nonsense, which I have no time for. Mm. Absolutely right. You like what you like. 
And if you don't like it, then that's totally fine, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it's, I, I don't mean to bring this up at this point, but, uh, you know, I do this, my show that you made reference to, Trek Profiles, where I interview self-proclaimed Star Trek fans about why they love the show. And, and one of the things I've learned is that there are many different kinds of Star Trek fans. And there are people who only got into it after the 2009 film, you know, and had no access to like the earlier stuff. And, you know, sort of they, in many cases, go back and look at that stuff. But, you, you know, there's no, I have no preconceptions that you have to have watched the whole thing since you were in the, a little wee baby in a crib, or uh, you have to have some kind of, uh, legitimate way to have your ticket punch to be considered a Star Trek fan. I, I find all that just preposterous and a bunch of nonsense. If you like any part of it, you're a Star Trek fan. It's all good. Good, man. I like that. I like that. Yeah, it's like because it, like the whole idea of the we've gone off on a tangent a little bit, but I don't mind. Um, we've you know, the whole idea of Gene Roddenberry's universe is that at least on Earth, we've done away with the majority of things that sort of segregate humanity. So Let's just let's just go and enjoy the things that we enjoy. If you enjoy Star Trek, fantastic. If you enjoy Star Wars, fantastic. If you enjoy neither of those, also fantastic. Whatever it is that you like, go and like it, right? Because if you there's a one of the things I really really enjoy watching is this old seventies sitcom called Mash, mm-hmm. right? And there's a character in Mash called um, Sherman Potter, and he said, "If you ain't where you're at, you're no place." <laughs> And I always take that to mean, if you aren't being true to yourself, who are you being true to? Who are you if you are not you, right? Whatever it is that you enjoy, as long as it fits within the law and as long as everyone who's involved is enjoying themselves and having a good time and everybody's allowing it to happen, what's the problem? But I think we know what the problem is, gents. And I think you see this too, because you guys are mostly talking about games, right? And I think there's an element of this too, which is, let's say that you, and I'm sure this has happened to you. Um, where you've given a review of a game and you said, you know, oh, it was, you know, maybe a, a four out of a 10 for me. You know, I, I didn't like it all that much. And someone, someone who listens to you or came across your, your podcast tells you, nope, that game sucks. And you must agree with me. <laughs> yeah. It, and must hate it to the level that I hate it. You know, if not, you're the problem. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's exactly that same thing in Star Trek fandom where some people are like, nope, all the new stuff is terrible. And you must agree with me that it's terrible in the exact same way, shape, form and manner that I find it terrible. If not, you're terrible and i find that terrible and i oppose it (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i mean growing up i i used to have to watch it with him and i'll be honest it grew on me but originally the only reason i watch it was when you have like the classic star trek and you had like care come when i've in the zip down to a planet and you see him spock buns and two people in red shirts and i go i know what's gonna happen to them (laughs) (laughs) everyone knows what's gonna happen to them it's collateral damage (laughs) Now, at this yeah. point, I have to point out that, that Star Trek fandom, being what it is, someone actually sat down and did the analysis. And you can go out and actually find histograms, charts, and graphs that will show you that a red shirt is not actually the most dangerous shirt to wear oh. in the original series. So I will just leave that as an exercise for the interested listener. Okay. <laughs> oh, interesting. Different. Interesting. Okay. But still, it didn't stop me pointing him out going, <laughs> he's going to die. <laughs> the entire setup for that joke has now just been ruined. But that's perfect. <laughs> we can change it later. <laughs> change it for future references. 
<laughs> hey, for what it's worth, I have a classic Trek uniform and I have a red shirt. Not, But the difference is that I, I was actually in the Navy and I was in engineering when I was in the Navy. So I wanted a red shirt because that's the engineer's color. It, it, but it's also that security wears that too. Mm. So it, I, I would be on the engineering side though. Excellent. I think I, I, I'd end up in the engineering just because I'm a computer programmer. I feel like that's where that would sit. Yeah. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Uh, do they have computer programmers in the Star Trek universe? Absolutely. Probably. It would either be, depending on the particular kind of programming you did, I, I, I see it either being in, uh, in, the, in, in the classic Trek colors. It would be either red for engineering, or although it could possibly be blue for science, uh, depending on the kind of programming you were doing. I, I could see that depending on some, some variables, which we probably don't want to go into here because it'd be a rat hole. But uh, <laughs> So you could probably take your pick. So that, that's good for you. Well, I'm wearing a blue shirt today, so let's just say science, right? <laughs> let's do. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, one of the things that we're going to talk about um, later is how we love to go back to these older games that we played in our youth, in our previous years, or whatever you want to say about it, and and like using the super overpowered machinery that we have now that you know people would think, oh, well, that's only got uh, what was it? The the AMD Ryzen core the CPUs have like 32 cores in them now. Uh, whereas I'm sitting in front of a Dell XPS with six. And I say, whereas it only has six, that's still six CPUs on this thing. And it is a laptop, you know? Mm. But yeah, going back to those slightly older games with the slightly uh, overpowered hardware as well. But yes, um, yeah, one of the things that I wanted to say, I know that uh, Squidge has said he's not, he, he's sort of absorbed into the fandom of uh, Star Trek by osmosis and kind of <laughs> came around to the idea. But uh, I, I was wondering, right, because you brought up the original series a few times. Is it the original series that's your favorite? Because my favorite isn't the original series. Do you have a favorite? Is it possible to have a favorite? Well, I, I grew up with original series, uh, so it's near and dear to my heart. And I oftentimes find myself defending it uh, against people who say, oh, well, it wasn't really until Next Generation or, you know, it's really uh, Deep Space Nine that's the best track. And I don't – I'm not much of a ranks person where I'll say this is the best or that's the best. But uh, from my own subjective experience, you know, TOS is the closest to my heart. Uh, and one of the things I will also say, uh, especially in the modern era when people say, oh, you know, the new track, it has much better sensibilities about things. And I will say, you know what, given the starting place of where society was at the time – uh, there is nothing like the original series for actually pushing those boundaries further, uh, given the time and place of where it was than the original series. Even the modern Trek, it's, there's nothing in there that I consider all that, uh, all, all that, that groundbreaking as far as anything they're doing in the show, um, as far as that goes. But the original series really was groundbreaking. And it's also, it's the basis of the whole thing. If you didn't have that, none of this other stuff would have happened. So, uh, exactly. but I, I, I love it because I grew up on it and, and, uh, I have a, almost encyclopedic recollection of those episodes. I, I know all the episode titles. I know all the things that happened in them. Uh, and even though I've seen everything else, I, I don't have that same level of closeness to it. Sure, sure. But having said that, I am open to people having their own favorites, and I've never uh, I've never felt any uh, compulsion to have people like or dislike things to the same, the same way that I do. I, I welcome anyone who says they're a Star Trek fan. And in fact, that's what people come on my show. I do my introduction and the very first question is always, are you a Star Trek fan? And they have to say yes. And if they <laughs> do not confess, if they do not confess 
publicly on the show, right up front. We're not going to go any further. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Recording's over. That's it. We're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I mean, uh, for me, like I said, I, I you know the, the sort of the big four of the earlier shows. I never really, I never really caught the animated original series uh, stuff because I don't think it was broadcast over here in the UK. And uh, you know, are you next watching the new show? I, I, I haven't had the chance to. I haven't had the chance to sort of keep up with it. Like I say, I've only really seen the first sort of four major CBS uh, titles. But uh, I did I did dip into, oh, geez, which one was it with, um, I want to say Enterprise. Was that the one with? Um, Scott Bakula. That's the one with Scott Bakula, yeah. So I dipped into that for a little bit. And that was, yeah, I got where they were going with it. But for me, it's always been about Voyager, right? Because... Mm-hmm. For me, Star Trek Voyager is like Die Hard, but in space, right? Because, and let me just let me just follow with me on this little metaphor, right? Because in the original, right. in 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 Voyager, they get uh, big spoiler warnings for people who haven't seen it and want to go see it. But I'm not going to talk about the ending. But yeah, they get fired off into the like into deep space, into an area of space where they they are literally on their own and all they have with them is what they have on the ship and what they can find on other planets and what they can trade with other creatures but they are right on the other side of the the universe and it's going to take them longer to turn around and come home than any of them will live for so they've literally marooned right the the idea with die hard is it's a cop who doesn't have jurisdiction and is thrown into this impossible situation that he has to then get out of. He only has the equipment that he has on him or can find. Similar sort of thing. It's not exactly the same, but it kind of is. But I love that idea of these are the these are the things that we have, and we only have this many people on ship. Mm-hmm. And if we all fall out with each other, if we all, uh, because humans do, because people do, we all we all get upset with each other every now and again. Managing those relationships, managing the the resources, all of that kind of stuff is really interesting to me. They did that. I mean, I won't talk about the ending because the ending was a bit. They they painted themselves into a corner. I think. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. I mean, the, the the one thing I'd say about Voyager is that I I recently completed a, a full watch through the whole series. So I because I had I had uh, I was actually in the U.S. Navy at the time that Voyager was an original broadcast. And so I had missed a lot of it, uh, most of it, in fact. And I'd never gone back and actually sat through a disciplined rewatch. So I, I've just completed that actually um, later, late last year. And the one thing I would say about Voyager is that I really appreciated some of the high concept sci-fi they did. And I thought that they actually had more of that than any other Star Trek incarnation then or since. Um, and there's some episodes that I would say are some of the best of all Star Trek in Voyager. One that comes to mind is this one called the Omega Directive, um, which I think is pretty close to the perfect Star Trek episode in a lot of ways. Uh, so I would encourage anyone who's interested in Voyager or has never seen it and just wants one episode, go go check that one out. It has a lot of what I consider classic Star Trek in that there's not really a bad guy. There's no villain in the episode. And you're like, how can you have a show without a villain, Right. Go, go watch it and, and you'll see that it's really a good example of that. Um, the, the, the one thing I would say is a, a knock on Voyager is that sometimes, and I think honestly, most of the time, they fail to take their own premise seriously. Uh, and so there's a real life example of this, which was one of the writers who got transferred onto the original Voyager. Uh, 
they're sitting around doing the, the first few episodes in the writer's room. And he's like trying to keep track of the number of photon torpedoes, the number of shuttlecraft, you know, how many people are on. And, and the head writer's like, yeah, we're not doing that. And, and so early on in the series, at one point, uh, someone says something like, well, we have only 78 photon torpedoes, you know, and, and we've got to get home, right? And, and someone, cause you know, Star Trek fans, they're kind of <laughs> obsessive about this stuff. Somebody actually, there's a supercut on YouTube right now. Uh, and if you search for like Voyager firing photon torpedoes, someone cut every single photon torpedo firing from Voyager, and there's like 387 times they, they fired <laughs> torpedoes, right? What? And you can just see them all one after the other on a supercut on YouTube. And because they just didn't feel like they wanted to keep track of that stuff, you know? And the same thing is true for the damage to the ship or when people die or even things like, you know, and this is a premise of the show. It's not giving anything away, but the idea is that it was Voyager and another ship that was not in Starfleet get catapulted across the, the galaxy. And so they kind of have this merged crew and they only really dealt with that for like two episodes you know of like these these people who did not sign up for this who were not in starfleet who have to live on this ship and sort of you know adopt all the starfleet ways even though they never volunteered uh which i thought would have been a fascinating thing to have had long-running series arcs about so i love voyager i love a lot of things i especially love captain janeway who i think is amazing and i'll defend her against anybody else if people disagree feel free to come at me on twitter come at me bro <laughs> we can talk about it uh but you know they they oftentimes did not take the premise of their own show seriously uh but man when they went for some of that that high concept sci-fi it's like the perfect cheeseburger of star trek so <laughs> give, give it a second look if you haven't folks yeah, perfect definitely. cheeseburger. I like that rating system. It's the perfect cheeseburger. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> well, it's you know, it's perfection. You know, it's like it's like you, how many hamburger joints are there in the world, right? I mean, you know, and you think how how many times can you eat a cheeseburger, right? But when you have one and it's just right, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing is true in Star Trek, right? I mean, how many more episodes can they make? How many more can they do, right? It's the same ingredients. It's the same stuff that they did the last mm -hmm. time, right? It's just they're doing it again, but it's still so good. <laughs> so before we go on to the actual the, the 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 rest of the episode can you tell us a little bit more about track profiles because we brought it up a few times sure sure and um yeah uh, I, so the history of john and podcasting uh it's it's that I started going to um, – I've been a Star Trek fan my whole life and I used to go to conventions a lot when I was younger because uh, I grew up in New York City and and there was a lot of Star Trek conventions that were happening in New York City. And, and I, I, one of my earliest memories was me – and I might have been 9 or 10 uh, – begging my mom to take me to a Star Trek convention in Manhattan because I lived right outside in, in Queens – and she was like, what? Star Trek? All right. You'll have to give up your allowance and buy a ticket. And I had to pay a lot of money for myself at that age, you know, to get a ticket and everything. And, and my mom taking me was it's one of my first memories. And um, then I, I always watched Star Trek, but I sort of got away from, you know, I, I wouldn't have described myself as a Star Trek fan for a long time, but I never stopped watching it. And uh, in, in 99, I moved to Las Vegas. And we had this thing here called the Star Trek Experience. I don't know if you gentlemen had ever heard about this, but at the Hilton Hotel, uh, they built basically a sort of mini 
Star Trek theme park and museum. It's the only way I can really describe it. So they had like a Quark's bar from Deep Space Nine that you could go in and order drinks. They had <laughs> they had characters walking around who were in the full costume. Uh, you know, they were in the full outfit with everything, you know, like uh, theater quality makeup, you know, like not even the stuff that was on TV did not look as good as this. Because in TV, you can get away with certain imperfections that when you're standing face to face with somebody, you can see it, right? So they were like better than anything you'd ever seen on TV. Um, doing bits, walking around, they had a ride. And I, I would, I made my wife take me and, you know, she, and she has no interest in any of this stuff. And like the characters walk around and I am like literally a 12 year old. Look at this. Look at that. Oh my God. And she's like, oh my God. Like, what time is it? You know, can, can we go? You know, she's like, yeah, I, I, I'm exaggerating really a little bit. She, she humored me, uh, wonderfully in, in all of that, but she has no interest in it. And, and then I started going to the, the biggest Star Trek convention, uh, probably in the world is held here in Vegas. And it used to, it was every summer and it used to be at the Hilton and then it moved to the Rio. Um, the one this year was canceled because of all the unpleasantness in 2020, which I'm sure your listeners understand all about. But, um, it was through that I had always been a podcast listener as well. And I'm talking back to like the very first podcast, right? I am, I am not in any way new to podcast listening. Uh, I had been listening since I want to say 2006, 2007. Like that's early in podcasting days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started listening to some Star Trek podcasts when they came on, uh, cause they, they, there were some that started somewhat late, but I listened to a lot of those and, uh, uh, some podcasters, Star Trek podcasters who knew me, uh, asked me to come on to talk about, uh, the convention experience as someone who's a local and could give some like local advice. You know, like, oh, if I want to stay someplace cheaper, where should I stay? Or if I want to go to the grocery store or, you know, what is there to do outside the convention? Because I live here, I could do that. So that was my first podcast. And uh, they were part of a podcasting network and they came to me and they said, you know, you should do a show for us. And that was like it. They said, you should do a show for us. And my response was no. (laughs) 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 Because by that time, and we're talking maybe four years ago now, I don't know, five years ago, 2015, 16, something like that. Um any kind of show that you would want to do in the Star Trek podcasting space was being done. Um, there's, there's very good, very high quality rewatch podcasts, uh, to watch along with episodes. There's many to choose from. Uh, there's people who are doing daily news Star Trek podcasts. There are people who are doing weekly news Star Trek podcasts. There are people who are doing episode reaction, uh, or recap podcasts. There were people who were talking about the convention circuit. There were people who were talking about the comic books, the movies. I mean, I, I didn't feel like I just wanted to do something to do something. <laughs> I, I I felt like if I was going to do a podcast that I wanted it to be like something where I felt like I could do something that either wasn't being done or something where I felt like I had a unique ability to deliver that somebody else maybe wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what that was. So I just like, nope, but you know, I'll always happy to be a guest on your show, <laughs> but I really don't have anything. And it, I was actually listening to a tech podcast. Uh, you, I don't know if any either of you are Mac guys. You mentioned being a, a Dell, having a Dell there, Jay, and you're a Microsoft programmer, so you're probably not much of a Mac guy, I would imagine. Oh, I, I have a few Macs in the house, yeah. All right, there's a <laughs> podcast called the MacCast. I don't know if you ever heard of that, right? But Adam Christensen does it, and I've been. He was one of the first guys I was listening to, and he's been podcasting since 2006. And I was listening to his show, 
And on one episode, he talked about the thing that he was most proud of uh, for doing his show for as long as he did is not the quality of the show, which is very high or any of that other stuff, but it's the community that has developed around the show. And all of a sudden, a lightning bolt hit my head, which was to say that if I was going to do a show, a Star Trek podcast show, what I was going to do was not a show about Star Trek, but a show about the community of fans. Yeah. And that's when, like, literally, it was like a Saul of Tarsus moment, you know, to bring in a really weird analogy, where, like, the whole thing sort of fully formed in my head in an instant that I was going to do these long-form deep dive interview shows where each person that I get on the show, they come on one time and it's basically a version of this is your life in Star Trek. And <laughs> how did they get into Star Trek? What does it mean to them? Do they collect anything? Do they go to conventions? Why do they? And, and at the core of it, we're trying to get out of, we're trying to get to why do you care about this show? What is it about you? You weirdo that you're going to talk to me <laughs> for three hours Right. About Star Trek. Right. Some strange guy on the Internet for three hours about Star Trek. I mean, we're all weirdos here. Right. So I'm in the club, too. <laughs> Why is it that you're going to do this? And and the thing that I think that makes it OK, and I, I always hesitate to talk about this stuff because I feel like I'm tooting my own horn in a way. But um, I am I have a very well earned modesty about it, which I think leads me uh, to the place of being a good host for the show in that. I am totally okay with not being agreed with <laughs> mm. on, on what a good or bad episode is. And I'm totally okay if someone doesn't like the stuff that I like. And so I, th I think, I hope that that makes me a good host for the show and that people can come on and they can say, I hate this episode and I hate that captain and this whole thing sucks. And this over here is the greatest Star Trek. And the very next episode, I'll have on someone who will be, nope, that person was completely wrong. I completely disagree. And I'm going to be a neutral arbiter for all of them because I, I try and I, I hope I'm successful in not getting wrapped up in any of that myself. I certainly have my own point of view on things and I share that, but I, I, I want to be just a, a neutral host and get people on who – You have to be a self-proclaimed Star Trek fan, uh, whatever that means to you, and and you have to come on wanting to talk about the episodes that are personally meaningful to you. And usually, I have people tell really profound stories. I mean, I had a guy on who he was going to commit suicide, oh, wow. and I'm talking about like not like an idea in his head. I'm talking about like he had sent letters, he had like the gun, he had the desk. Like today's the day, you know, I've got the gun in my mouth moment. And he is one of those people, and you might be one of these people that you always have to have the TV on or like the radio playing. You know, he was one of those. And, and a Star Trek episode was on and something was said in the episode that made him change his mind. <laughs> oh. mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, if I, that episode of Star Trek hadn't been on, you know, I think he had a VCR playing. And he's like, if, I, if that episode hadn't been queued up and, you know, things just aligned that I heard this, you know, while I had the gun in my mouth, I, I wouldn't mm -hmm. be here today. You know, I had another young lady on who – um uh, in real life, she was in a dangerous situation uh, with her boyfriend that was abusive. And the Star Trek community, like she was really, she's really only known on Star Trek Twitter, <laughs> which is a very special place, by the way. And and Star Trek Twitter and a, and a bunch of other Star Trek fans got together to, to get her out of that situation. <laughs> you know, I, I interviewed another young lady who grew up in a cult, <laughs> a, a full-on, legit <laughs> cult. Whoa. And 
and the only thing her parents would let her watch on TV was Star Trek because it was, you know, not about killing. And, and because she watched Star Trek, it, it led her away from the cult. And now she's anathema to her own family, uh, because she left the cult, you know, but it was, she credits Star Trek with that. And so not that every episode is like that. I mean, I, sometimes I have people on who are just like, you know, Star Trek is the best thing that ever happened to me because I love it so much and it, you know, made me feel better about myself. And I get those stories too. So it's sort of the whole spectrum, but, but sometimes we hit on these things where, you know, this pop culture phenomenon has really affected people in a profound way. And, even people that have not been in, you know, those sort of precarious life versus death situations, there's something in the show that touches people. And exactly what that is yet, I haven't quite figured it out. But in the course of those interviews, I feel like I'm forever circling that that truth. And it maybe eventually we'll get to it. Hmm. That was a long answer to a short question, Jess. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I love the little. I love the journey that we went on there. The the <laughs> the the that that feeling of like giving something good to the world. You know, getting people to come on and talk about this. You talked about some very, um, you know, some very sad and unfortunate uh, events, but they were then turned around by this thing that that people are genuinely interested in you know and you can get that in all walks of life you can get that in uh music film tv books whatever it is something will reach out to someone um and just strike that call and go you know what just think about it just 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 go and think about this other thing for a second and maybe we can help you see some beauty or some life or some wonderfulness in the world or like you said there's this whole community of people and we're all friends here let's see if we can help each other out Totally. I absolutely love that. And, you know, the same thing is true in games, guys. And, you know, every every now and then, you know, you play a game and there are some games which are stupid and you just enjoy them, you know, or there are some, you know, I've listened to some of your past episodes and, and I know the ones that you're thinking of, right? There's some games you just get in there and you just, you know, have at it, shoot them up, you know, and, you know, all that. And there's trash talking and all that. And it's a lot of fun. But then there are some games where you finish playing it, you think, my God, you know, I have to sit down and think about that. I had that experience when I played Bioshock. You know, I, I went through that game and I was like, I have to think about this. You know, like I, I really have to think. I, I think I learned something about myself by how I was reacting to some of the characters in the game, you know, and, and in any pop entertainment or experience, even games, you know, when you really sort of step outside yourself and you have a moment, you know, I think there's something in Star Trek which makes that very accessible. Mm. And, and, and games, I, I don't know if a lot of games have gotten there yet, but some of them have. And it's a magical experience when it does. I can only apologize for having to listen to some of our episodes. <laughs> I can <laughs> well, only you know apologize. What? No, 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 no. I, I, I went through the list, right? And yeah, I don't know if you want to get into how I got on the show to be here with you today. But but um, I was going through the list of episodes and I saw one of the ones you uh, had talked about on one of your episodes was Alien Isolation, which I felt like is just like that's to me is an example of one of the finest uh games you know it really was just a a game where uh it was true to the franchise like like separate from being a game it was a franchise game because it's related to this movie phenomenon but the game was true to the spirit of what that was mm. you know because we've all had experiences where they like as a star trek fan you know sometimes they put a star trek label on a thing and they think am i supposed to buy that or care about it you know and we've all seen that too with franchise games where some of them are so bad Mm. And or or they hold no relationship whatsoever to the thing that you loved about, you know, the comic book or the movie or whatever it was. But that game really was in the spirit 
of the game. And you know how I had first heard about it was actually on Reddit. Uh, I was reading a technical post, believe it or not, where someone was talking about the AI that they had designed for the game. Did, did you guys know about this? Uh, I've I've read little bits on. I've, uh, like I'm Gamma aware of the AI of the game. It it sort of it lends as you play along with it. It has two AIs in the game. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's an over there's like an overseer AI that knows everything, right? I mean, the game knows where you are in the game. It knows where the xenomorph is in the game. It know it has all the information. But then there's a a xenomorph AI, which has limited information, which is fed clues from the master AI, but it's not given exact information. In fact, it's fuzzed. It's not exactly right. So the game is like from an engineering level designed to be very fair to you as the player. It's not taking advantage of the fact that it has perfect information. And the just the whole design of like this dual AI that have limited communications with each other was kind of a novel concept apparently when they put it together. So there's there's technical posts about this. And there's been articles I think actually in the game press. Like I would encourage anybody who's interested in this to go read it because apparently this was considered very novel. And it when you play the game, you really feel it, you know, because like the 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 xenomorph AI especially like if you crawl into if you crawl into the uh, an access panel to like crawl through the air conditioning duct and the xenomorph AI doesn't know that you do that unless it actually catches you doing it. But once it sees you doing that, then it starts to go through the tunnels too, because then it knows that you like to do that. But if you can avoid it seeing you do that, you will have a leg. I mean, so there's like levels upon levels of, and so that's how I, I was like, I got to play this. And then when I played it, I was so thoroughly delighted by it uh, because it just really was true to the spirit of, alien in so many different ways so that that's when i, I so that was one i listened to and that was great because i enjoyed that you guys liked it so i said like, <laughs> no, you're all right in my book now, one, of, one of the uh, the things that i really like about alien isolation is that um we, if you have a, a so if you're playing it on a pc and you have a microphone or if you're playing it on the xbox 360 and you have a um oh, sorry xbox one and you have a connect it uses the microphone to capture your audio and puts it into the game. So if something jumps out and you go, ah, and make loads of noise, then the Xenomorph will be told, there's a big noise over there. Maybe go check it out. So like even you as the player sitting with the controller and the environment around you affects the state of play, which is, it's brilliant. Is that it, Deep it's, level of immersion. Yeah, right. And it, it, if only they'd have sorted out, can you imagine? Playing that with VR headset, that would that would have been <sighs> distressing. <laughs> you know, it's it, what's what I really liked about it was it, and one of the things I said this earlier is that it was very true to the Alien franchise, and that you, you know you do not try to fight the Xenomorph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you see Mister Munchy McMunchface, you've lost. You know, you you will not. You are not going to, oh, I've just got to get the right weapon, and I'll be able to. Def- no, <laughs> if he sees mm-hmm. you and comes after you, you're you're done. You know, it's time to revert to next save. And even in the game, saving the game is stressful (laughs) Mm -hmm. because saving the game requires you to be immobile for like 15 seconds in a vulnerable spot because there you can't just like press a keyboard thing. You have to go to those save machines in the game and Mr. Crunchy McCrunchface can come and kill you while you're saving the game, which is like (laughs) the most horrible experience. So Mm -hmm. it it, even saving the game was stressful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I do. I do remember 
lots of uh, stress playing it. I never actually finished it. Never finished it. But I do remember lots of stress playing it. it just because I was like, I can't, I can't, I've got to put this down, I've got to do something else. <laughs> I, I will say this, is that even the ending of the game without giving any spoilers is very true to the spirit of the franchise. That That's all I'll say about it. Uh, and I hope they make another one. <laughs> I, I hope they make another one because that, that to me was just so good. Excellent. Okay. Um, so what I'd like to talk about, uh, if you guys have any, um, so one of the recurring segments that we do on this is, uh, our recent games. What have you been playing? So, um, we, we just like to sort of, uh, go around the table for people who are new to the show, just go around the table and, uh, talk about two or three or maybe all if it's less than five, I guess, of the games you've been playing, what's so great about them, and whether you'd recommend them to other people. So uh, do you want to go first, Squidge, or should we uh, have our yeah, esteemed guest? Okay. John, uh, what, what, what have you been playing recently? All right. I got two two for you. Um, one's more, I guess, a serious gamer game, and one on a sort of a lighter topic. Uh, I guess I'll start with the, the lighter topic first, uh, which is that that my, my son, who's 12, um, He's been after me to get a gaming computer for a long time. Uh, and, and so we set some rules for him about, you know, report cards and all this. And he finally, uh, he, he really did well, uh, over the last year in school, which given everything that's happening in 2020 was not, mm. was, that was a pretty tall order. Mm. And he, he delivered on that. So I was very proud of him. So at the end of the school year last year, we ordered him uh, a gaming computer, uh, which by the way, if you want to hear a preposterous thing, uh, we ordered a custom gaming laptop, not like super high end, but a, a custom gaming laptop. I would say a mid range gaming laptop for him from a custom computer company. They shipped it to us. It took 30 days from the date we ordered it to when it arrived. Uh, they shipped it to us without a Wi-Fi card. What? I, 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 yeah, yeah. Those faces you're making <laughs> and. And, and I get, I, I, so like, I, I got them on the phone and I was like, you know, I, I can't seem to get the Wi-Fi working. And they're like, oh, we'll make sure you've updated the drivers. I was like, okay, I'll follow your instructions. And they're like, okay, you did the thing and updated the drivers. I was like, yeah, you know, and they're like, all right, well, let's uh, remote into your machine. So I get on remote with them and the, the guy repeats the procedure to install the drivers. Right. And I was like, no, I'm pretty sure I did that, you know? And, uh, he looks at the device manager and he's like, there's no Wi-Fi card installed in here. And I was like, dude, you're a custom laptop. You're a custom gaming laptop company, right? I can't go to Walmart or Costco and lay my hands on a laptop that doesn't have Wi-Fi. So mm. if this thing doesn't have Wi-Fi, that would be a, let's see, my problem, you, that would be a you problem, you know? <laughs> and, and so the, I had to RMA the machine after he'd had it for only like two days, you know, and I felt so bad for the kid. So anyway, I told him, I was like, I, I will get you any game you want, you know, because this was not his fault, right? And and so I, I was like, what do you want to do? He's like, well, I want a game we can play together, Dad. And I was like, outstanding. So he picked it, and it's so stupid. It's a game called Gang Beasts. Ha okay. Have you ever played this game? It It I is haven't. so... So have you ever seen, maybe on a YouTube video or TV somewhere, they have those, like, inflatable fat suits. So, like, you could fight another person in a way and neither of you be hurt. Like, have you ever seen those things? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. It's a game sort of like that, where your characters are like these like giant inflatable puffy men, and you're put in this impossible map, like on top of a blimp, like on top of an actual blimp that is flying, or uh, in a room with like giant slicing shoots that you can get sucked into that and chop you up. And the goal is to throw everybody else into the things and be the last <laughs> person standing or throw them off the blimp. 
<laughs> and like the care, like it's not like uh, the controls are not like like super twitch like muscle control. It's not like that. The the controls are sort of mushy in the game, mm. and you sort of bump into these other guys, and the the controls are sort of hidden. It's not like, you know, if, if, if like you're used to playing a first person shooter game, you know, the game is going to be very true to you, right? Like it's going to follow your mouse movements pixel, pixel. Uh, and if you twitch that mouse, something's going to, the game is very loosey in the controls. And like, that's all on purpose, I think, because it's meant to be kind of fun. Mm. And you've got these outrageous characters and you just kind of throw people into the, into the meat grinder or you knock them off the blimp and he just loves, playing this with me and he he's he's always like dad gang beast come on and you know he, he kicks my butt in it but <laughs> yeah we we still enjoy playing it so it's definitely and it's something you can get in and out of in 15 minutes yeah so yeah you just log in and and and, and knock yourself out um on a more serious sort of you know gamer fanboy note uh the other game i've been playing that's so freaking frustrating is uh detroit becoming human mm. uh i don't have you have either of you played this one i haven't played it but i've seen a lot about it so the it's sort of a interactive movie game style game in a way uh and it has branching decision points. And the thing about the game is that it has a lot of branching decision points. They actually matter and the game does not allow you to save. So each time you finish a chapter, it'll go back and show you like you went through this path and it'll show you all these branch off points that have huge branches and you don't know what they are, but it's like you went this way, you know, and you don't know what's down that other path, but you can see that like vast portions of the story you did not get to explore and you can't save it. <laughs> and so unless you like, you know, if you're playing the PC version, there's a workaround, which is you can actually copy the folder over and like get it out of the game folder and, you know, but that's like a workaround. The, the game does not support that. The other thing about the game is in the content. The, the The point of the game is that at various points, you play one of three different robotic AI servants or characters. Yeah. And it puts you in some circumstances which are very challenging to the player, not from a gameplay perspective, but from sort of an emotional perspective. And I'll give you an example. Uh, at one point, this is not a spoiler. This is how one of the characters starts. You're a robot AI and you wake up in the robot store and, and there's people who are walking around looking at the different models, you know, oh, here's a pleasure model. Here's a domestic servant. You know, here's a fitness coach robot you could buy, you know, whatever. And you're picked up by your owner. You were dropped off for repair. Your memory's been wiped. This is again how it starts. None of this is a spoiler. And he is not a nice man. <laughs> in fact, he's a, a bad guy. And this is immediately apparent. Again, no spoilers. And you're taken to his house where he lives with his daughter and he's emotionally and physically abusive to her. And the game gives you the choices as he's being physically abusive to her. Would you like to clean up the kitchen or would you like to make dinner now? And like, those are your only choices. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and you're like, well, where's like the, I take out the shotgun and shoot him. Like, that's not the choice yeah. you're given, right? Or I want to rescue the daughter. Like, that's not a choice the game gives you. Your choice is, you know, oh, I want to clean up the stuff on the floor or do I want to clean up the stuff that's on the counter or like this is the, how the game is. And so it's very challenging emotionally mm. to, to play the game. And so you start thinking about things like, you know, what is the morality of this? Is this ethically cool? <laughs> you know, do, mm. do I want to be in this situation? How do you empathize with the robot? You know, and, and all it's really but the but the gameplay is also quite good because there's some action sequences 
uh, where you have to like do things just right to get through it. And there's YouTube videos of like a chase scene. So if anyone wants to check out a little bit, a little bit of it, there's one point where you're a, again, no spoilers, but you're a, a, a police model that you're not a police person, but you're a robot who is assigned to the police to assist them in robotic investigations. To say like, oh, a robot wouldn't do this. They would do that. You know, here's what I would advise. You know, so you're an advisor, right? And at one point you're in a chase and you have to do things exactly right to get through the chase. Like jump the third car and then choose the left door, not the right. You know, it's one of those kinds of things. So like there's lots of action gameplay too. So it's it's really engrossing. And I'm enjoying my way through it. The one challenge I have, and this might, this is probably my own personal thing. The game is designed for replay. I know I'm not going to replay it. Like, I, I just know that about myself. Like, like I, even if, like, some other ending would have been the more compelling one that I would have tried to have gotten for myself, I, I know I'm just going to go read about it, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> That's fair enough. We, we we only have so much time for our sort of pleasure activities, you know, our leisure activities, just sitting around and playing a video game and unwinding. Some A lot of people, myself included, don't get a lot of time to just, I'm going to sit and mainline a game for nine hours, and then I'll go to sleep. Because some people some people get loads of joy out of that, and some people have loads of time to do that. I don't get the time to do that that often, so I totally get that. Yeah, you're gonna get through it, and then look up what the other um, endings are and what the other choices were, and how that all fit together. Totally get that. So, what about you guys? Yeah. So, what have you been playing, Squidge? Um, I've been recently in my spare time. Um, I've I've come across a game that I've been waiting God knows how many years for. It was I'll finally. Tell you how, I will tell you how many years you've been waiting for. It was originally released in Japan in 2012, and so only years. just brought out in right. the West here. So eight <laughs> years I've been waiting for a game to drop, and it got released on Steam, which made it easier to install instead of going yeah. to a website executables and stuff. It's Fancy Star Online Two, a game from eight years ago. That's expanded to such a next point, such a point where I wandered in and I didn't know what I was doing, and it took me like four hours to get a grips, basic grips of it. But I've been playing that, and that's been every moment of my spare time essentially, <laughs> um, because I played the original on the Dreamcast and the GameCube, and it's so vastly different but exactly the same. It's really odd. It's it's got the same themes and the same story background. Well, not not exactly the same story, but it's got the same feel to it, set in the same universe, but it's so different, yet exactly the same. It's odd. It's really it, this really odd opposites, but it works. And a friend of mine, he's he's been playing online with me, and it's really weird because he doesn't play online, and if anything, he doesn't play with chat either. So he's he's been playing with chat and online, which is really surreal for me. <laughs> um, and it's just yeah, doing that exploring, learning how things go. You're trying to get lay of the land because it's a it's a free online game, but it's got paid content in it. But you don't need any of the paid content to enjoy the game. You know, it just if you want some stuff, it takes a bit longer to get. That's all. And um, when it's not that, I enjoyed playing Fall Guys last night. Yes, um, <laughs> that's so much fun. <laughs> you know, li- little little essentially tic tacs with legs with costumes running through uh, obstacle courses where there's you and forty nine other players. The wackiest physical game show I've ever seen. It and is each each stage. Hilarious. There's only a set amount of you that can qualify. So in the first stage, there's like sixty of you, and only forty two can qualify. 
they're only 25, then only 12. So there's going to be eliminations all the time, but it is the mm-hmm. most bizarre, compelling, weirdest game I've ever played. And I was playing with a few friends last night and I'm a calm person, but within about 12 minutes, I was swearing, <laughs> yelling and swearing. And I just, what? You know, it's, it's <sighs> definitely, it's got one of the simplest control systems I've ever come across in a video game, right? If you're playing with a controller, you have an analog stick to move around and one button to jump, one button to grab things. And that's essentially it. There's another button to do like grab another player and throw them out of the way, but that is it. And it is, it is, um, I don't know what kind of, uh, sort of silly game shows you get over there in, uh, in the States, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a physical game show idea, right? So you, yeah. you're, you're running through the area. You got to jump over obstacles and, and climb over things and, and get out of the way of fans and people are throwing things at you, that kind of game, right? Yeah. And it yeah. is just so stupid. And the games themselves are really short, right? But it is definitely one that, that feels like it works well if you are playing alongside a bunch of friends and you have some kind of um, audio chat going along, so like Discord or whatever, because then you could be talking through, oh, no, I've got to, no, move out of the way. No, I've got to. Yeah. And just everyone just is just really silly. It's, it's, I can definitely say it's a lot of fun because I was involved in that, uh, in that uh, Fall Guys um, session that Scrooge was in. And it was a lot of fun. It's hugely, and it's super cheap as well. I, I don't know what it is in other currencies, but right now, on the on, at the time of recording, it's like fifteen pounds, which is not a lot of money. And uh, yeah, it's free to play online. They, they're having a couple of issues with their servers, but that's because they didn't expect as many people to join in as possible as as had happened. But yeah, I totally agree with that, Squidgy. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Really is you. You don't realize how quickly you end up swearing. Um, <laughs> and you don't even realize either. And then you see people just running. Through. You're all. You've, you've got no advantage. Everyone's exactly the same. The only difference is when you start. There's like because um, there's sixty of you. You got three lines of ten. Mm-hmm. So you're either on the front of it, in the middle, or the back, and that's the only difference. Apart from that, you see people jetting off, yeah. running perfectly, getting through stuff and getting to the finish line. You think, how are you that good? Mm-hmm. no difference the only thing you can get for it is cosmetics or different costumes but they do nothing how are you <laughs> that good what's going on <laughs> but yeah loads of fun have you been playing anything else Squidge that's about it um, okay. apart from I got um, recently as of yesterday I got delivered a it's called a, a Duke controller it's, oh yeah it's a, the original it, Xbox it's the yeah. original Xbox controller so the the massive one um, but it's been redesigned by, I can't, um, can't remember the name of the company now, but it works with an Xbox One and a PC natively where you plug it in. And they've, they've added like triggers for the top, uh, bumper buttons, because it didn't originally have bumper buttons, but the, the black and white button at the top works as the bumper buttons. And the circle in the middle has got a, um, a video screen. And every time you push that, which is your Xbox button, it shows you the original startup for the original Xbox um, console before a game started. I wonder. You don't, I mean, don't have the sound, but you can push it and it just starts going again. So it's totally no good for the listeners, but do you have it? Do you, do you have it to hand so you can sort of show it off on the video? I mean, not with exactly. it plugged in and stuff, just to show off the size. Cause like people tend to forget how big the original Xbox Duke controllers were, right? They had to be redesigned, um, because not everyone has big hands, right? And especially when they released the Xbox in the Japanese market, 
for one reason or another, people in Japan aren't as tall That's as people outside. That's the size of the pad compared to my hands. <laughs> and I've nice. been playing. I've been playing Fallout Four on this, and it's been a challenge. <laughs> that, that looks really huge. It's, yeah. it's literally as big as my head. Oh my god, it is! A, looks like you have a face hugger for an alien <laughs> attached to your face. Yeah, hang on. It's a uh, Hyperkin. Is the company? Hyperkin. Hyperkin. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's uh, yeah, it's massive, and that's the screen. Obviously, it's really good for audio. But that's the screen. <laughs> Whenever you click it, that's your Xbox button. But it's got a little LED, um, a little computer screen in there, and it shows you the original startup every time you push it. That's cool. Yeah, so it's literally as big as my face. We'll we'll have we'll have an image in the in the show notes. So yeah. definitely check that out. Maybe maybe I can convince Squish to hold it over his face or something. We can take a photograph. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. But yeah, we'll we'll sort that out. But yeah, uh, for me, it's been um, the Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney trilogy on the Switch because I absolutely love those games. The, the control system is so simple. It's like with your thumbstick on, on the Switch, obviously with your thumbstick, you're moving a pointer around on screen and you're just clicking on things. It's brilliant. It is a kind of um, hidden object puzzle type of game, but it's more the story and the music and the aesthetic that I, mm. I really enjoy. Um, other than that, I've been playing a bit of Resident Evil Revelations 2 mm-hmm. um, because who doesn't enjoy just blasting zombies away in a sort of action horror game, right? <laughs> Stress reliever, you know? And um, and yeah, and with that, it's uh, Fall Guys. Fall Guys is just so... I, I cannot recommend it enough. If you like that kind of silly pick up and play and play against... 59 people that you don't know or 56 people you don't know and three other people that you do know definitely worth picking up it is a ton of fun absolutely have you uh, <laughs> have either of you guys ever played the stanley parable oh my yes. goodness yes <laughs> it's I, such a good game it's such an amazingly good game and and the, the one thing i just want to say about it which is first of all if anyone out there has never played it you should and mm. second is do not do not read about the game no. It is absolutely a game that you would go into cold, makes it so much better, and you are not going to regret it. That that's all I would say. But it's a simple game, you know. It, it's it it really is an example of you know you don't need like mega graphics, you know, sixteen buttons, fourteen kinds of controls, you know it, and to have just a glorious, glorious gameplay experience. And, and I would say that the more games you played in your life, the better it makes it because there's a lot of like in jokes that, that you get, you know, and, and that, that's another classic, I think, that, that will never go away. <laughs> I could always go back to that one. The other Absolutely. thing I've got to say about the Stanley parable is Stanley went through the left door. No, I said the left door. Okay. He went through the right door then and he continued down the passage. <laughs> And I think we should just leave that there. Yeah. Because <laughs> anything yeah. we yeah. say about the game... Just spoilers, yeah. <laughs> just spoilers after that, yeah. But that was... Oh, my goodness. That's just... <laughs> it's a classic. You've got to, you've got to experience it, it, that one. Yep. Hmm. It really is. It really is. Um, so the next, the next sort of uh, segment that we do 
is something that we've called the Thunder Plane Games, right? Um, I was wondering if you'd, if you'd like to do this. Uh, it's really simple. There's only two rules. It's very similar to, there's a, a BBC radio show called Desert Island Discs, where it's like, you're going to be marooned on an island. You can take five albums and a book. It's very similar to that, except it's not. <laughs> Essentially, what happens is we're going to take you to uh, the Thunder Plains. You're going to be dropped on a desert island. You're going to be, I'm trying to think of a, of a Star Trek related desolated area that we could drop you in. Uh, Nimbus 3. Uh, oh, there you go. Go. Yeah. So we're going to take you there. Um, you do have communications to uh, the rest of the galaxy, the rest of the world, everyone that you could ever want to talk to. Um, the rules are. You can't ask for help because help is on its way. It's just, it's going to take some time to get there. You can take um, up to two or three video games with you and we'll provide you with all of the systems you need to be able to play them. You will have, if you need it, internet connectivity. But again, you can't ask for any more help than you already have. And uh, help will be there when it gets there. It's not an indefinite thing. It's maybe... It could be a week, it could be a month, it could be six months, but help is on the way and you will be rescued. But you have these two or three, maybe four or five games to kind of keep you going, keep you entertained in the in the downtime whilst you're not looking for food and looking for shelter and things like that. So what would you take with you? Let's see. I, I actually don't have too much of a struggle with this. I think the answers for me would be Civilization Six, Skyrim, and EverQuest, which we'll probably end up talking more about later. Um, mm. Those three games, I think I could play repeatedly uh, again and again, enjoy them every time, and never have any regrets about picking any one of them. Uh, I don't know what it is about Civilization uh, that makes me keep playing it, but I just love playing on the gigantic maps you know, the really, the biggest game maps it'll give me. I don't want those little tiny ones where, like, the game's over. I want to play, like, over the long arc of history. And I want to have all the civilizations. And I usually go for the scientific victory. Uh, very rarely do I go for the military victory or the diplomatic one. Uh, but, or the cultural victory, which I think is the rarest. The, the cultural victory, very rare. Uh, but, but normally I, I really... Uh, just enjoy it every time I play it. And every time, even though I play for the same victory, I just always enjoy the game. Uh, and I could just never not play it. Uh, same thing goes for Skyrim. I don't know how many hours I've dumped into that game, but I, I do have some rules in that when I play, I do not fast travel. Uh, mm. unless I'm doing something like I've got a lot of loot from a dungeon and I'm hurting for money, uh, yeah. in which case I'll just fast travel back and forth a couple times to sell and come back and sell and come back. But that, that's like rare. It's, it's the whole point of the game is traveling around and just seeing these weird little things that they put in the game that you'll just never find unless you just come across it, you know, just weird little things, uh, mm. that are just there and, and all the, uh, what what in the old D and D games they used to call wandering monsters that you come across and and weird little things that happen when you're traveling you know you come across these other characters that have some weird story to tell and all the lore that's underneath the game if you like that sort of thing because you can play the game without any of that but I, I find it so rich and so there's no number of hours which is sufficient of Skyrim uh, <laughs> in my life. And, uh, and that's, th those are both single player, or at least I play them in single player ways. I don't play any of the multiplayer versions of either of those. And then of course, EverQuest, which I think we'll talk more about later, but, uh, which I love for entirely different reasons. 
So just sure. real quick, um, I had a specific character because I, I call it the Bethesda Gambit, right? I go on any Bethesda game, Oblivion, Skyrim, even Fallout games. I go on it for ages, then I forget what I'm doing. I load up the character, completely forget what I'm doing, and I think, oh, I'll just start again. And I've got like 17 different characters. One of them I decided, what happens if you don't go to Whiterun? And what I did was I played, I explored damn near the entire map without dragons showing up. Yeah. Now, and it's, it's possible, and it was really weird. <laughs> you guys well, should, you should definitely follow the uh, Skyrim subreddit if you don't, because people post all kinds of weird achievements, and I don't mean like ones that are in the game. Uh, one that was notable was, and this was just as we record this, just within the past seven days, someone played the entire main storyline in Skyrim with bare fists and level one. Using nothing, no weapons of any kind, just bare fists, and never took a level up and completed the whole game. <laughs> wow. Nice. <laughs> There's also people who have tried to play the whole game without killing anyone. Which yeah, apparently this route, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a way to do that. But when I read that this guy, I was like, no freaking way did he do that. <laughs> you know, like I I, like, I got to see the receipts on this. You know. <laughs> but it just goes to show you, right? I mean, if you're willing to do that, I mean, this game really just sucks people in. Mm. I like it. I like it. We have talked um, before, sort of briefly, about. Uh, Coming back to the the games that you've enjoyed, but challenging yourself when doing them. I know there's a lot of things that Squidge and friend of the show Ike do um, that are called Nuzlocke. I don't know what that means. It's it's, it's more for Pokemon games. It's yeah. essentially in a Pokemon game, you 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 wear down a wild Pokemon, you catch it, and then you you heal it up, and then you start training up yourself. The whole point of it is you're limited to the first thing you encounter on every route, and if you don't catch it, that's it. You don't get a chance, right? And if that particular Pokemon, while you're training it or going against other trainers, if it faints, you've got to release it as in it's... The the the, the idea is if it faints, it dies, you can't use it anymore, so you release it. And you've got to go through the entire game with the first thing you encounter on every single part of the game and try and beat right. it that way. And it is really difficult. <laughs> wow. <laughs> really so difficult. Breathing new life into the game that you that you can play in your sleep, you know? Mm. I love that idea. It's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, an old school version of that is play Sonic on the Mega Drive Genesis with the pad upside down. Oh. oh. I've done that. It's not as hard as you might think, but it takes yeah. a while to get used to. Do you mean sort of rotated so the buttons are facing down towards the floor, or do you mean upside down so the as in the, oh right, so you rotate you, so, it so the, degrees. So right. the up down left right is in your right hand is is right. your right hand's doing it, but yeah. it's it's flipped but upside right is down. Left and left yeah. is right and down is it yeah yeah. Now wow. the, the added bonus is any button is jump. It's yes. just the moving round and getting used to it, pushing one direction while Sonic's going in the opposite direction. Well, that's possibly the easiest one to do well the quickest one to do but it's really getting your mind into the right frame to do that and yeah. complete it and then go back to another game and don't turn the pad upside down <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it breaks your muscle memory for sure yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah somewhere else I'll say that okay so here's what you do is you play alien isolation with a controller and turn it upside down right <laughs> you play alien isolation 
with the controller as it is, but you just have dubstep blaring in the background, so it always knows where you are. Then it's just a yeah. case of running, running through. <laughs> oh dear! Or Excellent. whichever version of music you want, as long as it's loud, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, dear. I'll tell you guys, the last console I had was an Atari 2600. <laughs> okay, so what you do is you take that, the, the controller for that, turn it upside down. <laughs> <laughs> and you play talk, E.T. <laughs> talk about the most, uh, the, oh my God, E.T., the most disastrous game that I think ever existed. I think that you just thing, triggered him, <laughs> Oh my God. Do, do you know what happened to all the broken games? Did you ever hear about this? Yeah, they put them in a landfill, didn't they? Yeah, they, they ended up in a landfill in New Mexico. Yeah, <laughs> and then someone dug up the landfill. Yeah, yep. someone found it. Yep, it's a uh, that that one. Well, a lot of things contributed very heavily to it, but uh, ET was the 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 source, the, the the straw that broke the donkey's back, as it were, um, that brought about the video games crash in the early eighties. And it is precisely that game and what happened just before it that is the reason why uh, NES games, NES games, Nintendo games have the seal of approval because the idea was it is a, this is a seal of a, this is a badge which says that the game has a certain level of quality because prior to the NES coming out, there were companies releasing, you know, just, just quickly throw something together in three days and then release it and charge top tier pricing for it. And you would have you'd have people standing in the in the game store in the toy store or whatever with two identical to them looking games. One is sixty dollars forty pounds, and the other one is twenty dollars ten pounds. Well, which one do I buy? Well, I buy the cheap one because it's cheaper, right? And those cheaper titles that flooded the market completely undercut all of the the top tier titles. And that's what brought about the video game crash of 1982, which is why, yeah, even to this day, the Nintendo titles still have that seal of approval logo on them, just because, right? So Absolutely. Just this, you know, for, 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 for any youths out there, this is in the days before internet. So when they put that cartridge out, that was it, mm-hmm. right? That The game had to exist on that cartridge and whatever happened, happened. You know, there was no way to fix it if the game had a bug or a flaw you you were out of luck and boy we were all out of luck with that et game <laughs> to talk about because uns- there was no way to play it. there was no way to finish it it, it mm-hmm. literally was an unplayable game i mean i know people say that now as a slur but that was actually true with the game it was literally unplayable yeah yeah but then i think i get the i think this is coming from memory i think that the the lead, the, the, the lead programmer, the programmer, the developer, the creator of that one only had something like a, a two or three months to make that game, which yeah. if you turned around to EA or Square Enix or Ubisoft or something and said, you have to make a movie tie-in game that needs to push the console to its limits and you have three months to do it, hmm. even with everything that they have now, they would turn that job down because that's impossible to do. I don't think you could even create like a, a free mobile game in three months. That's a movie tie-in. Mm-hmm. Unless you took, I don't think you can. Yeah. All you could do is take an existing thing and maybe put a skin on it, you know, and tweak a couple bits, you know, but you couldn't create something that would be, uh, you know, an A title. No. Yeah. Which I think is one of the reasons why we don't have so many um, tie-in video games for blockbuster movies as they come out now. Because obviously, it takes making a making a top tier video game takes almost as long, if not longer, than making the movie. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, 
principal photography for a movie is usually about 18 weeks. And then you'll spend a couple of months in special effects. And then you'll go to screening where you get some people in to watch it and they talk about what they like and what they don't like. And then you'll go back and maybe refilm some bits, reshuffle it about. It's usually about a year or two years before a film comes out, right? But a video game, you're looking at two, three years now. So if you want to make the move, if you want to make the game of the movie, you have to have the finished movie to make the game from. <laughs> because yeah. if you make the game, from the movie and then it doesn't test well and they change the ending. Well, your game now has a completely different ending to the movie, or maybe the movie goes in a completely different direction because maybe they have um, reshoots that just change the story. Well, now your game doesn't reflect the movie anymore and you can't really develop them in parallel. So I totally get that. That's probably why we don't have movie tie-ins and when the movie comes out at the very least. Well, I think that there's an element of this that ties into something we talked about earlier, guys, which is that, you know, a, a lot of times I've been very skeptical of any sort of franchise tie into a game, uh, yeah. which is why Alien Isolation was such a nice surprise because it was such a quality game. Uh, and as, as a Star Trek fan, I mean, how many Star Trek games have there been that have just been terrible and, and they put a Star Trek name on it and they expect it to sell? Right. Even though the programming wasn't quite right and some of it didn't quite work correctly and mm. there were some other issues of it. There have been some Star Trek titles which have been terrible. Uh, and I, I'm still scarred by it. And so, uh, <laughs> uh th- but there have been a few which have been good. There have, have been a few which, which have been good. Yeah. I will mm. say, but, but it, it, there was quite, it was quite a period of time where man, oh man, you know, I would run far away from anything with a Star Trek title on it that got installed on my PC because it was going to be a, it was going to be terrible. <laughs> Not worth the time. <laughs> it's when it's when you get like in the set in the Star Trek universe coming out. Of, well, I'll avoid the shops that day because I'm not going anywhere near it. So now, if I look at the back, I'll think I like Star Trek. This looks half decent, but I know these screenshots are lying to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then you have that little voice in the back here that says, "Go on, what's the worst that could happen? It could blow up my PC or burn my retinas. I'll get it anyway." <laughs> Because I know I'm going to. I'll just save time and get it now. It'll save the cognitive function. You play it and you think, I shouldn't have bothered. And it goes in the cupboard. <laughs> I, I will say that the uh, that the Star Trek MMO is a, is a notable exception to this. Uh, I think that the developers of that have done a good job of tying it into the to the to the to the mythos of the game in a lot of ways and it's had a lot of positive reaction i dabbled in it a bit myself so i don't have much of a personal opinion on it actually i'm lying i do have a personal opinion on it but um <laughs> uh, but which was which is very subjective but uh by uh, general reports it's been positively received so that's that's a notable exception i just want to put out there also um i just want to point out that that one was published by atari who also made the et game so <laughs> 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 I'd, I'd like to think they've learned the lesson by now so many years later, but, you know, some people just don't learn. <laughs> well, yeah. So, um, yeah, as long as that doesn't get buried in a landfill in Mexico, it should be all right. <laughs> just, just bury the servers, you know. That's it, right? What's interesting, about, what's interesting about the Star Trek games is, I've, you know, I quickly looked it up whilst you guys were talking about it, and uh, Wikipedia has this list of Star Trek games, and the first one that is listed for a sort of home computer release, not the console games, was 1971. So, you know, there's a, that what I'm getting at is that there is a long history a very long history of Star Trek games. And yeah, you're right. There there are there have been some that are just here is a game that is vaguely space related and we're gonna slap the logo on. And and 
there are also have been some absolute wonderful titles uh, released. So yeah, it's it, it's a it's a real worry if you're a fan of a franchise, regardless of it's Star Trek, Star Wars. Um, Squidge and I are both fans of Discworld. Mm. You know what, whatever it is. As soon as someone comes out with a officially licensed product, the first thing you go is, really? Okay. Mm. Let's see whether it actually fits within. Mm, I don't know. You got to see the reviews on the game from the gamer side and from the fan side, right? Absolutely. And and it's one thing, even if it's a good game, if it destroys some mythos that you really care about, you know, you, you may not like it. <laughs> if you're a fan of some, you know, if, if it exists external to the game, you, you might care too much about it. And so you can kind of. You can kind of, it, it kind of has to be weighed on both sides, right? Is it consistent with whatever it is you like about that parent universe? And is it also a good game? Like an Alien Isolation, which I know we've sort of beat it to death, but it's, it's an A plus <laughs> on both sides. was a long answer to a short question gents i'm so sorry no i love it i love it intro music is among the stars by muse station productions outro music is i need you watashi no sabate by gh spoiler break music is spectrum subdiffusion mix by phonics palette cleanser music is breathe deep breathe clear by siobhan Degay. see the show notes for more details the waffling tailors podcast is a proud member of the j and j media network to find out more about J&J Media, head over to jayandjay.media or check the show notes for a link.